this one time, Bitcoin went from six cents all the way to 36 cents, and then it crashed down to 21 cents. And then another time. And by DCA Wednesday, we are right back where we were. TikTok, next block, zoom out, Bitcoin marches on. That and we're less than 19,000 blocks away from the next halving. That and more on this latest edition of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. Hello, you sexy sat stackers, and welcome back to the latest episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. Today is Wednesday, December 13th, 2023. Of course, that means it is DCA Wednesday, but we certainly have a lot to talk about. As I alluded to in the intro between the last two episodes of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast, for those of you who are staring relentlessly at the price, we had a bit of a pullback as low as $40,000 or about $40,500, depending on where you're getting your data. And even Peter Schiff was out there doing victory laps saying, oh, look, Bitcoin's dead. It crashed. Blah, blah, blah. Of course, the price is often the news, but there's usually a lot more to talk about than just simple Bitcoin price, even though we're gearing up for the next halving cycle bull run. Before we get into all of that, let's take a quick look at the vital statistics. At the time of this recording, Bitcoin is sitting at a block height of 821074 and Bitcoin's current U.S. dollar value is ringing in at 42910 U.S. dollars per Bitcoin, or 2000 330 sats per dollar. That's about $800 less than last DCA Wednesday, but a substantially higher level. You know, we're up about $2,000 from that dip, you know, that pullback that we saw just uh, over the last couple of days, Sunday night in through Tuesday or Wednesday morning in this case. Uh, for those of you doing the math, that means we are 18,926 blocks away from the next halving, and it's currently looking like that is going to occur approximately on April 20th of next year. So TikTok next block, regardless of when that halving actually occurs, it's uh, one thing is for certain, it's going to happen at block 840,000 whether that block comes in on the 19th, the 20th, the 21st, or whenever, of course, depends on how fast blocks average between now and then. But the halving is coming. There is absolutely nothing anybody can do about it. And once it gets here, buckle up, buttercup, because traditionally that is the official kickoff of the next hyper, I say hyperbolic, the next parabolic uh, Bitcoin bull run. It's usually about six months to a year after the halving where we see Bitcoin retake its all-time high. As Adam Eister says, Bitcoin always returns to its all-time high, and it usually does that about six months to a year after the halving date. And then, of course, goes on to that explosive face-melting, you know, parabolic bull run that, you know, the, the absolute peak of which only lasts a matter of weeks where we you know, reach stratospheric heights. Last time it was $69,000. Although the previous cycle, you know, we did have that double top because it was a little bit different. Uh, than, than previous cycles. And of course, as they say, history doesn't always repeat, but it certainly rhymes. We'll get a little bit more into that uh, when I talk about the news. But again, I digress. Back to the vital statistics. 
For those of you following along at home, Bitcoin's current price gives it a market capitalization of $839.7 billion, about $15 billion less than less that lasts less than last DCA Wednesday, but still the second highest market cap we've seen in in months, if not years. Bitcoin hasn't had a market capitalization this high on any of my show notes that I'm scrolling back through. So at least for the last several months, for those of you who like Peter Schiff, still value your wealth in shiny yellow rocks. It will currently cost you 21.7 ounces of gold to purchase just one Bitcoin. To put that in perspective, even though, even though Peter Schiff and other gold bugs were out there doing victory laps when they set a new all-time high against U.S. dollars, uh, that is still twice as many ounces of gold to purchase just one Bitcoin than it would have cost you a year ago. In fact, one year ago today on the DCA Wednesday episode, I believe it was December 14th, so almost exactly a year ago today, it would cost you 9.6 ounces of gold to purchase just one Bitcoin. And now that's going to cost you 21.7 ounces. And as you know, I am a firm believer that gold is trending to zero ultimately against Bitcoin in terms of Bitcoin. You know, gold has had a nice run. Gold was the hardest money known to man before Bitcoin came along. But, you know, it's not our fault that we found something better, Peter. So, you know, the amount of gold that is dug out of the earth it continues to increase every year. And of course, the amount of Bitcoin in circulation continues to increase once every 10 minutes for the time being. But Bitcoin mathematically reduces that that new circulation of Bitcoin in half every four years. And that's what the halving cycle is. And with this next halving cycle, Bitcoin's issuance will actually be more scarce than gold. And of course, gold, you know, it actually is one of the more abundant elements in the universe. There's gold in the salt water, there's gold in the earth, there's gold in the skies. You know, it's only a matter of time before someone figures out to harness that asteroid that's made out of more gold than completely, you know, than has ever been found on planet Earth. And if that ever happens, of course, that would radically alter the supply of gold. So my point being, gold had been the hardest money known to man, the most solid money, the most sound money known to man. Of course, the term sound money comes from gold. Uh, but with the discovery, with the invention, or as most people like to refer to it now, that, refer to it now Satoshi Nakamoto's discovery of Bitcoin, discovery of absolute mathematical scarcity uh, as far as a peer-to-peer -peer digital currency is concerned, uh, we have found gold 2.0. So uh, move over, Peter Schiff, and the sooner you do so, the better off you'll be because everyone gets Bitcoin at the price they deserve. And right now, that price is 21.7 ounces of gold per Bitcoin. That will be in the pounds by the time we set a new all-time high. For those of you who value your wealth in pizza, one Bitcoin will currently purchase you 2,399 large pepperoni pizzas from Papa John's. That is one pizza a day for more than six and a half years. That is a heck of a lot of pizza for just one Bitcoin. And of course, pizza as well as gold are trending to zero in Bitcoin terms. And we're watching that play out in real time because, you know, it was it was just months ago when you couldn't even purchase a thousand pizzas for one Bitcoin. And uh, it's only a matter of time before we're talking about 10,000 pizzas or 20,000 pizzas or infinity pizza, you know, eventually. But I digress once again. Looking at Bitcoin activity, the mempool is still completely clogged. According to Clark Moody's dashboard, there are approximately 60 blocks of transactions pending in his mempool. That is up from 53 last week. 
And other mempools with different settings show substantially more than 60 blocks worth of transactions pending. But we're going to stick with Clark Moody's dashboard because that's what we've been doing for the last two and a half years. And, you know, even if you want to say his is not necessarily the most reliable metric of determining what kind of transaction activity is pending, uh, we're being consistent. So uh, sometimes consistency is more important for identifying the trend than accuracy or technicalities like uh, maybe his mempool is restricted or kicking out older transactions sooner than other mempools. Once again, I digress. That clogged mempool means that on-chain fees, if you want to guarantee an on-chain transaction is included in the next block or right away or absolutely through the roof, Clark Moody's dashboard is recommending a fee of 243 sats per V-byte to guarantee your transaction's mined in the next block. If you have up to a day to wait, they're recommending a fee of at least 33 sats per V-byte. And as, as with last week, they're saying that um, that still a fee of 6 sats per V-byte will eventually be mined within a week. Mempool.space is telling a slightly different story, as usual. They're recommending a high-priority transaction should include a fee of 150 sats per V-byte, so almost 100 sats cheaper. And that still has a U.S. dollar value of $9.01. So we're getting a lot closer to a 10 or... $10 or more fee uh, to guarantee your transactions mined immediately if you have a high priority tra transaction that you're conducting on chain. Of course, they're recommending that a low priority transaction has a fee of 121 sats per V-byte, so that's not much of a discount. A no priority transaction that you can wait several days or a week or so for it to be mined, like for example, if you're just moving your own Bitcoin from one wallet to another, uh, their staying will be mined for a fee of as low as 28 sats per V-byte. That's a you do you kind of thing. It depends on on your situation. If you're obviously if you're buying a cup of coffee at Starbucks or whatever, that's just the proverbial purchase that Bitcoiners tend to talk about when they talk about using Bitcoin to make purchases. If a merchant is waiting for their Bitcoin and it needs to confirm in the next transaction, then you need to pay a higher fee. If you're sending Bitcoin to a friend or family member just to give them some Bitcoin or pay off a, a bet that you might have lost over the weekend, and it doesn't matter. How fast it gets trans, you know, the transaction gets confirmed as long as it shows up relatively soon, you know, then you can get away with a slightly lower fee. And obviously, most wallets now will let you use either replace by fee or child pays for parent to bump that fee up if that transaction does get stuck or or it's taking a little bit longer than you anticipated to confirm. So again, this is kind of one of those you do you do your own research, uh, make decisions that fit your individual circumstances based on your specific needs. And these are just guidelines anyway. I wouldn't pay 243 sats per V-byte to send a transaction if my life depended on it. You know, even if it needed to be guaranteed that it cleared, that it's going to clear in the next block or so, I would still be tempted to set it a lot lower and then bump that fee up after a block or so. Because I've been watching mempool.space and I've seen times when it's recommending a high fee, say 250 sats per V-byte, but then you look at the blocks coming in and the range of fees being paid in there. And sometimes that lower end fee is substantially cheaper. Again, these are just estimates that they're that they're uh, that they're making based on what has happened in the past, and what has happened in the past is not always indicative of what's going to happen in the future. If you get a couple of blocks back to back, boom, boom, just like that, then they're going to have some lower lo lower fee lower fee transactions mined into that block, and maybe you'll get lucky. Again, that's a you do you, and I'm going off on another tangent. Speaking of on-chain activity, the metric that you know I like to follow, Bitcoin's 24-hour average, average transaction rate is absolutely soaring again. Currently, we're looking at an average transaction volume of 6.87 transactions per second, 
up from 5.53 transactions per second last Wednesday. And that means two things. It means those ordinals shenanigans, the, the inscriptions, the uh, ordinals inscriptions, etc. The the BRC20 token shenanigans are back in full effect. And I know this is a major, major point of contention on Bitcoin Twitter. You have people that say that, you know, that you can't censor what is what should be what the fair market should do what should be in a valid bitcoin block that's not up to us as long as they pay their minor fee then they're playing by the rules and other people saying rightly probably that this is actually an attack on bitcoin not one that's going to be successful mind you but if you look at the people behind all this shenanigans most of them are longtime hardcore bsvers and for the entirety of bsv and, and even before that um, you know bitcoin cash's history Spamming the Bitcoin network has always been part of their strategy to try and say, look, you know, Bitcoin's block sizes are too small. Their transactions are too slow. You should use our infinite block size blockchain or, or you know, our, or whatever S-coin fork improvement that their particular S-coin has made. But, uh, you know, Udi and those other uh, wizards out there clowning around trying to break Bitcoin and laugh about it at the Bitcoin convention another bone I have to pick with Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, eventually that's going to go away, but that doesn't mean there won't be some new shenanigans on the horizon. And as a result, sometimes it can get a little pricey to guarantee an on-chain transaction is included right away. If you have time to plan ahead, transaction fees tend to go down on nights and weekends. When I want to consolidate my transactions or if, I, if I'm breaking in a new hardware wallet and I need to move my Bitcoin from one wallet to another or whatever. If I have a little bit of time, I usually try and make sure I do those transactions over the weekend. Um, and of course, if you have a week or two to wait, you, you can do it whenever, set that fee low and just let it ride and see what happens. Because as I mentioned, there are times when three or four blocks will come in when you know normally one block is supposed to come in in that 10 minute time span. Sometimes blocks come back, come in simultaneously, you know, instantaneously, just at the, at, depending on uh, which node you're looking at, one block might have even beat the other block. Uh, and so when that happens, there have been empty blocks that have even been mined. So um, I'm not paying any of those exorbitant fees. I'm not desperate to move my Bitcoin anywhere. And again, when we do our DCA Wednesday stack, one of the reasons we're sticking with Cash App, despite I've you know the fact I've complained about their recent fee structure changes, at least for the last three or four episodes, is because they will pay the mining fee to send that Bitcoin from your Cash App account to your cold storage. And so, quite frankly, I don't care what Cash App is paying in fees. Uh, as long as my Bitcoin gets there, that is not my concern. I mean, that's an oversimplification, but you get my point. And speaking of difficulty and Bitcoin mining, since we last spoke, the difficulty it takes to find the next block was adjusted downward. There was a 1% decrease in Bitcoin's mining difficulty. Of course, the mining difficulty is adjusted every 2016 blocks, which is theoretically every two weeks, with the goal of having one new block come in every 10 minutes on average. We're now 1,454 blocks away from the next mining difficulty adjustment. That's looking like that's going to be in about 10 days on December 23rd, so getting close to Christmas Eve. And depending on whose data you're looking at, that's going to be an increase of anywhere from 1.18% to 2.1%. So giving back that decrease that um, that we saw uh, just about a week ago, and then maybe, and then some maybe as much as double, you know, so we gave one inch and we're going to gain back two. And in general, just like Bitcoin's price always going up into the right, Bitcoin's 
Mining difficulty is always going up under the right as well, because as more people get into Bitcoin, as computer equipment and miners specifically get more powerful and more of them are manufactured and more corporate entities get involved in mining or even potentially nation states are getting into mining, like in the Middle East, for example, uh, you know, the difficulty is just going to trend up and to the right. Currently, blocks are averaging 9 minutes and 49 seconds, and that is 11 seconds faster than 10 minutes per block. So if that keeps up, then then, of course, we're going to have a 1% to 2% difficulty increase. We're still, you know, a long way away, and if more hash rate pours on, that can end up being a substantially larger increase. Or if hell freezes over and we have another ice storm in Texas and the mining companies that have those power sharing agreements, those load balance agreements with the grid are forced to take their miners offline. Who knows? Maybe we'll even see a decrease. My point being, overall, zooming out, hash rate, network hash rate, mining difficulty is trending up and to the right. Uh, but for now, uh, it is still, you know, we still have those occasional mining difficulty decreases like we did last week. Real quick, I want to thank those of you listening on your favorite Podcasting 2.0 up, such as Fountain. Podcasting 2.0 lets you support your favorite podcasters on the value for value model by sending or streaming sats to your favorite podcasts. Of course, you can send a boost, which is basically a shout out where you send a message to your favorite podcast via a lightning transaction, which allows you to support your favorite podcast and, you know, give us your two cents, your two sats, let us know what you think, or just say hi. We do not have any boosts to read this week, but thank you to those of you regardless of where you're listening and regardless of whether you can afford to stream sats to your favorite podcasts. Speaking of listeners, last week we had a little bit of a shakeup in our geographic distribution of listeners. Where you all are listening from changed a little bit. This week, that has remained exactly the same. So uh, the same as last week. The, the change is still there, but nothing, uh, nothing, no further changes have occurred. And our top 10 countries are as follows. As usual, number one remains the United States, where more than half of you are listening. So thank you to all of you out there listening in the United States, my fellow Americans. Of course, this podcast is coming to you from Florida here in the United States. So thank you very much to all my fellow Americans. Number two remains Argentina. They've been in the number two spot as long as I can remember. That is really gratifying because Argentina, you know, there's been a lot going on there in the news recently. Argentina is certainly a country that understands monetary debasement. They understand inflation. They understand the need for a hard currency. So thank you to those of you listening in Argentina. Muchas gracias, amigos. Number three remains Germany. And I've always said German Bitcoiners just have more fun. I follow a lot of German Bitcoiners on Twitter or I, I lurk and see, you know, the different meetups they have, the different events they have. And there's something that just looks extra special fun about those Bitcoin meetups in Germany. And maybe one day I'll get there. Part of my plan one day in Bitcoin hyper-Bitcoinization when we get to enjoy our lives a little more fully than we do in the, in the, in the short term, uh, Germany is on my list for sure. So... Dankeschön, mein Freund in Deutschland. Maybe I will get to see you uh, sooner rather than later. Number four remains Luxembourg. And so once again, Dankeschön, mein Freund in Luxembourg, or Morian in Luxembourgish. Number five remains Canada, where it's got to be getting increasingly dark and cold because we had a heck of a cold front move through here last week. And by a heck of a cold front, I mean it got down to 40 degrees. Not even 40. It got down into the upper, the upper 40s, lower 50s, depending where you're at in Florida. Uh, and that was enough to turn the air conditioning units off. And I, we even ran the heater one night. But nothing compared to what um, everybody in the northern United States or north of the United States in the USA's attic, as Greg Foss likes to say, uh, to those of you listening in Canada. So I salute those of you in areas where it gets ice cold because I can't do it. 
So thank you to those of you in Canada and everywhere that's north of Florida. Um, good luck. <laughs> Number six remains Spain. So muchas gracias, amigos, in Spain. Number seven remains Colombia. Once again, muchas gracias. Hola, amigos. Number eight remains Sweden. So thank you to those of you listening in Sweden who continue to occupy the number eight spot in our Bitcoin pod, Bitcoin Building Podcast listenership. Number nine, this was the big change last week, but it remains the same this week. Number nine is the United Kingdom. So hello to all of you listening to the United Kingdom. It's really cool that you moved into the top 10 last week because on a personal level, my daughter is in London uh, she was in London a couple days ago, and she had a really neat story. They were wandering around London, and they somehow stumbled into an event where the current cast of Doctor Who was either filming or having an event, a promotional event. And she literally, almost literally, ran into one of her all-time heroes, Brian May, from the band Queen. So that was really exciting. She's basically had the ultimate uh, European-British uh, experience done all of of course done all of the iconic tourist things that she can do over there can you tell i'm jealous i have never been to england i've been to europe i've been to germany i've been to france i've been to you know austria uh the netherlands belgium etc but i've never ever set foot into the united kingdom some of you listening over there would say you silly you know you silly yankee you are in the united kingdom happy treason day or whatever right because obviously we were part of the united kingdom at one point in time but i mean the united kingdom proper and by the way yeah, you know what I mean. You know what I was gonna say. So thank you to those of you listening to the United Kingdom. Number ten, and this was a change from last week. The United Kingdom bumped number bumped Singapore down to the tenth spot where they remain. So uh, number ten remains Singapore. So thank you to those of you listening in Singapore. Venezuela had been number ten for months and months, and they've got bumped out of the top ten last week, but they're still hanging in at number eleven. Another country that certainly understands the need for Bitcoin. So depending on what happens with our listenership. Uh, maybe Venezuela will end up back in the top 10. Uh, it's really cool that so many of you are listening from there, even if it is just number 11 in our top 10 most popular countries. But thank you to you personally, regardless of where you're listening from. All that matters, it doesn't matter if you're in the, one of the top 10 countries or where you're listening from. All that matters is that you're listening and that we're helping you solidify those strong hands and that we're uh, hopefully stacking sats alongside you as we head towards hyper-Bitcoinization together. That brave new orange colored paradise, the utopia, the citadel in the future, our bright orange future together. All right, on to the news. Obviously the price is the news often. It shouldn't be, but it usually is. And even if the, it, even if the price wasn't the news, the news sometimes affects the price and that ends up being all that people talk about or what people mainly talk about, not necessarily what the event was, but how it affected the price in US dollar terms or fiat terms, regardless of what fiat you use where you're listening. After last week's DCA Wednesday episode, Bitcoin retraced to as low as about $40,150. And even this morning, or late last night, or early this morning, depending where you're listening, but late last night in the AM early hours of this, this morning here in Florida, Bitcoin was as low as, as, low as $40,844. Apparently more than $4 billion worth of Bitcoin was sold off during that retracement. Since then, it has regained most of the ground, and where we currently are sitting at about 42900 is pretty darn similar to where we were last DCA Wednesday. Obviously, at one point in time, we saw Bitcoin run up to almost $45,000 or even over $45,000 briefly, depending on where you're looking at Bitcoin prices. Um, but we haven't seen that yet as far as our DCA, our DCA Wednesday series goes. Uh, so 
you know, doing a DCA series, doing a weekly stack, it forces you to zoom out really because we look at Bitcoin's price based in relation to what it was when we last purchased, not necessarily to what it was yesterday. And so that helps force you to zoom out a little bit. What caused the pullback in recovery? Nobody really knows. Sometimes Bitcoin just does what Bitcoin does. But all the markets were up today, largely attributed to the Fed holding interest rates exactly where they have been and signaling that they're talking about maybe three quarter point interest rate cuts in 2024. So that rallied the stock markets and uh, around the world, but particularly the United States where they set fresh new all-time highs. Who dumped their Bitcoin during the uh, during the sell-off? Who knows? But hopefully you bought back in if you panic sold or got liquidated because of an album, you know, because of the, the algorithmic trades firing off one after another, breaking through those sell walls and those uh, those li the limit orders or in liquid and forced liquidations. Of course, the run-up was most probably the market pricing in uh, what now most view as the inevitability of the SEC approving a Bitcoin ETF soon. There were also those rumors about, you know, Qatar and perhaps other nation states beginning to accumulate Bitcoin. We spoke a lot about that last week with Qatar possibly dumping a large portion of their sovereign wealth fund into Bitcoin. Remember, though, Adam Back, longtime Bitcoin OG, in fact, referenced by Satoshi Nakapoto as inspiration for Bitcoin, has that bet that Bitcoin will break $100,000 before the halving. That means before April 20th-ish of next spring. That would mean that this time is different because that has never happened before. As I pointed out last episode, Bitcoin is about has always been about three times the cycle low on the halving date. So basically that would mean that $45,000-ish uh, would be the target price for where Bitcoin would be at the halving. We've basically always done that. However, how we've gotten there has been different each cycle. So if we go sideways for a while, you know, that would be consistent with sticking with with, with with rhyming with history, with sticking with the previous trends. But also, if Bitcoin were to go up, maybe Bitcoin gets up to $45,000, $50,000 and then dumps back down. That also would be consistent and rhyming with history because if you look at a very interesting chart that Equinometrics put on Twitter, one that we've referenced in the past multiple times, but one that's a little more up-to-date now, you'll notice that the previous cycles, all of them, and even the trend, all show a dip. And if you look where that dip is, that lines up with about the end of 2024, pretty much exactly where we are now. And it's a pretty big dip, pretty substantial retracement, basically giving up a couple of months worth of gains entirely before slowly working back up to about where they were before the retracement, which in this case would be about $45,000, which would be exactly where we should be on having day. So maybe Bitcoin's just doing what Bitcoin's doing. It's really interesting to see that in the, you know, in the previous cycle, Bitcoin was doing really well. And then what caused that dip in 2020? Well, we all know what happened two months before the halving in 2020, the thing, the lockdowns, et cetera. But just because, you know, that was a black swan event that you would say, well, that, that would, that's one of the chances of that ever happening again. Well, yeah, it probably won't. But still the cycle before that had a very similar, a very similar situation. So my point being, if Adam Back is right and we blast through $100,000 or even just blast through the previous all-time high before ha having day, if Bitcoin breaks $69,000 before having day, that would be different. That would be something that doesn't necessarily repeat or rhyme with history. This last cycle, we saw Bitcoin drop below its previous, you know, its previous cycle's all-time high as the low of this cycle. That is something that had never happened before. So 
you know, some cycles are different. They say this time is different. And in some ways, they all cycles always are. That's why the famous saying is that, you know, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. Speaking of Bitcoin price and trends, Plan B on Twitter had an interesting tweet an hour or so ago, a couple hours ago now, where he tweeted that Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Tesla, NVIDIA all have 70% plus max drawdowns, just like Bitcoin. But Bitcoin has much higher returns. So from a portfolio management perspective, any combination of Bitcoin plus cash, and he says 100% plus zero or 90% plus 10, etc., is better than a portfolio including any other asset. People like to talk about Bitcoin being volatile, and I think he points out so much needed clarity here that... Uh, Everything in life can be volatile, particularly tech stocks. Bitcoin is kind of in line with a tech commodity, you know, so it would make sense that it would have the volatility of any other tech asset, in this case, the FANG stocks. So that's an interesting perspective. It's an interesting way to look at it. Of course, I don't want any combination of Bitcoin plus cash because cash is a melting iceberg. Cash is devalued by a minimum of 2% every year on purpose. Why the heck you want to hold your assets and cash is beyond me, but again, you do you, and that's Plan B's uh, Plan B's perspective. In what I hope is positive news and just the beginning of more things to come, I kind of hinted at this when we were thanking those of you listening in Argentina. Down in Argentina, down from here anyway, if you look at the top of the earth is up, President Javier Malay was sworn into office on Sunday, making the marking the first time, at least that I'm aware of, and that anybody I've been following on Twitter is aware of, that a libertarian has been sworn into office as president of a major company, a major company, a major country, a significant country. Of course, he did so on the promise of eliminating their central bank. People have been trying to construe that means that he's going to put Argentina on a Bitcoin standard. I have never heard him say anything of the sort. Uh, He has mentioned maybe putting Argentina on a dollar standard, which is what El Salvador did before they made Bitcoin legal tender. Uh, But whether they go on a Bitcoin standard or not, Argentina, Argentines, people in Argentina have suffered my entire lifetime through uh, continuous hyperinflations and monetary defaults, all as the fault of their central bank printing and then defaulting, devaluing and defaulting on their money, printing their money into oblivion. Regardless of what Javier Malay does, if he sticks to what he's promised to do in the campaign, and at least eliminates their Federal Reserve, their, I'm sorry, their central bank, even if it's just to put Argentina on a dollar standard, that bodes tremendously well for Argentina. Argentina with a stable currency could literally become a powerhouse nation again, return to their former glory. You know, Buenos Aires used to be referred to as the Paris of South America, the Paris of the Americas, a beautiful city, a wonderful city with a lot of rich history that was destroyed in the World War II years. Uh, by the Peronists, uh, you know, the, the Eva Peron years, the, the Don't Cry For Me Argentina thing, you know, where the Madonna playing Evita, Eva Peron. Uh, the, basically, she was a cult of personality down in Argentina that uh, was a national hero in the eyes of many, but led their country down a path of socialism. And the Peronists, the people influenced by that family, the legacy of, of, of Eva Peron has has been draining on Argentina ever since that time, you know, for what is that, 680 years ago. And uh, it's just cool to see Argentina finally catch a break, finally hopefully shake off the shackles of those fiat shenanigans of the heavily socialist-leaning 
uh, aspect of their previous governments, printing money into oblivion for their social programs and their buy power and influence and corruption. And uh, so congratulations, President Javier Malay. Congratulations to the Argentine people. Uh, that's really cool. Hopefully you get to experience great things. Hopefully Argentina will restore much of its lost glory. Uh, and that's really exciting. I firmly believe even if they don't adopt a Bitcoin standard, that a even adopting a U.S. dollar standard, while, a, while the U.S. dollar is in fact an inflationary currency, it's nowhere near as inflationary as the 150% month-over-month inflation that Argentina has been subject to. Speaking of fiat shenanigans, of course, we spoke last week about Elizabeth Warren's bread and circuses before the U.S. Senate Banking Committee, where she had Jamie Dimon on, and they had a little anti-Bitcoin love fest together, hating on Bitcoin, where Jamie Dimon said if he was the government, he'd ban Bitcoin. And then shortly after that, we saw Elizabeth Warren's bill basically making self-custody potentially illegal and uh, potentially even making Bitcoin mining or running even just a node illegal. Many have pointed out that Elizabeth Warren has never proposed a bill that's been passed into law. But the thing about authoritarians are they, that's the whole camel's nose under the tent thing. All they were trying to do is just get their nose under the tent. And before long, the rest of the camel finds its way in. And that is how, that is how leftists, that is how dictators, fascists, totalitarians, whatever edge of the spectrum they are, aspiring dictators, they always start out by chiseling away at your freedoms under the guise that they're there to, they're doing this to protect you or to make your life better. And of course, ultimately, you don't find out that what they had planned for you was catastrophic and horrible until it's too late. Freddie New on Twitter, at Freddie New, who says he's the head of the Bitcoin Policy UK, which sounds like our Bitcoin Policy Institute, but the UK version of it, posted an open letter to Elizabeth Warren on Twitter saying, Dear at Senator Warren, I wish I didn't have to repost this, but it's pinned for a reason. My kids and I built a Raspberry Pi as a computer science project. We run it as a Bitcoin node for fun and educational purposes. Under your proposals... My kids are therefore classified as a money service business. This is absurd. I write as a lawyer and firmly believe that laws should be good, fair, and just, and not absurd. It's crucial that lawmakers try to understand the nature of things that they are trying to regulate, whether financial services or Bitcoin. You cannot stop children flipping a coin at home or building a single board computer for fun. Remember, if you've got enough support, you could pass a law banning gravity but people would still fall downstairs. And then goes on to reference this bill. And this just goes hand in hand with what I've always said about us being in the and then they fight you phase. The United States specifically, we're unique compared to a lot of countries in the fact that we have a written constitution, a written bill of rights, putting restrictions on what government can and cannot do. It's arguable whether they follow that constitution at all anymore, whether it's been bastardized or perverted or not, how, how and how much it has been. But one thing remains crystal clear, and that is that we do have freedom of speech and that the courts have ruled that code is speech. And so they know they can't flat out make Bitcoin code illegal, but what they can do is make it a pain for you to do so. They come at the on-ramps and the off-ramps trying to regulate who can have an exchange. How they do that, they do that like in New York where they have their bit license agreement, or just in general by saying if you're a Bitcoin, uh, if you're a Bitcoin business, then you're a money service provider, and so you have to have this banking licensing or money service provider licensing, which is very expensive, very difficult to get, and they can refuse to give you one. They do it by taxing the snot out of Bitcoin, and as far as their onerous, burdensome capital gains tax and uh, tax 
uh, proposals. And in this case, Elizabeth Warren is further proposing to ratchet down on that by calling you a money service provider if you run a Bitcoin node at home. Therefore, while they can't prevent you from doing it, they can crack down on you and hopefully you're not the one person they find and make a glaring example out of when they give you three or four consecutive life sentences and send you off to a supermax prison to sit next to, you know, Ross Ulbrich and other people they've made examples of where they hope to have Julian Assange one day. Speaking of horrific government crackdowns, this is kind of breaking news. As you have probably heard, the Senate has been passing the, uh, the Defense Authorization Act, basically, and in that they've hidden a provision that would expand Section 702. That's basically the, the, the authority that the government has been using to spy on American citizens, to record our phone calls, our metadata or whatever, uh, in the name of protecting us from terrorists. In the past, they've been able to go to your phone company under the third-party doctrine and say, oh, we're not searching you. AT&T has this information, and they're providing it to us. This expands that, this proposed legislation expands that to basically uh, expand who would be required to turn over your information from just these telecommunication companies to any company that might come into contact with your data or your communications. This has been pointed out could mean the cable repair guy that has access to your router or your modem, or even any public Wi-Fi. Like if you go to Starbucks or McDonald's and you log into their public Wi-Fi, the government could force them or even do so without their knowledge to turn over your private communications under this doctrine. Uh, Edward Snowden tweeted right before I started recording, by six votes, the Senate just forced through a violation of your constitutional rights. Now all eyes turn to the House. They will put it for a vote tomorrow. Call your representative because this is your last chance. Tell them to stop the NDAA. If you're in the United States, by all means do so. Find out who your senator, or I'm sorry, who your, your representative is for your district or any of the representatives from your state. Call them. Tell them this is unconstitutional. This is a blatant overreach, a violation of your rights, and they want you want you want them, you demand, you expect that they vote against it, or you will be voting against them. This can make a difference. It was a very close in the Democrat control, a very close vote in the Democrat-controlled Senate. The House is controlled by Republicans. They're at odds with the with the Democrats, so that we already have a fighting chance for them to tell the Democrats to go pound sand. Unfortunately, when it comes to defense bills, to spending money supporting foreign foreign wars, and to violating your violating your rights, the left and the right tend to be unanimous in their agreement on this. Uh, but it's not too late. You have until tomorrow to call your representative's office and tell them to put a stop to this. Um, this will have impacts not just on your life here in the United States or anywhere in the world because we're going to spy on you regardless of what country you're in. Um, but the easier we let our spy agencies run amok, the more that's going to catch people that aren't in the United States up in the dragnet. And this will have repercussions, reverberations into Bitcoin. In the positive news, the uh, accounting, general accounting, generally accepted accounting principles, uh, the new FASB gap rules have gone into effect. Previously, as we've spoken about on other podcasts, and as Michael Saylor has so referenced, assets like Bitcoin, if the price went down, you were forced to report it as a loss. When the value of Bitcoin went back up, you were not allowed to say that it's worth more now and to report it as a gain. Those rules were proposed to have been changed. And from what I heard on uh, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast this morning, those changes have now gone to an effect. That is really cool. This is one of those five things that Michael Saylor said had to happen for hyper-Bitcoinization, and so it's a done deal. Check that one off the blocks. That's happened now, and that makes it a heck of a lot easier for companies to put Bitcoin on their balance sheet in the United States. So 
this is the exact opposite of one of those, and then they fight you sort of things. A rare moment of, of a positivism, of hope, of things making it easier to hold Bitcoin. Of course, they're making it easier for their rich cronies on Wall Street to hold Bitcoin, not for you to hold Bitcoin. That goes back to what I ranted about on the previous episode where I said they're fine with Bitcoin as long as it's just another asset they can use to make money, that they can use to make their friends rich, that their friends can donate to their campaigns and throw, you know, throw giant re-election parties for them, etc. Fly them around on their private jets as favors. So, you know, the, the United States isn't going to try and squash Bitcoin. I guess this does kind of go hand in hand with them, hoping that Bitcoin becomes the domain of rich Wall Street titans and not of the average pleb. So Seeking Alpha reported their headline along these lines, Bitcoin erases weeks losses of, of, as FASB guidelines set to beef up adoption. Bitcoin gains momentum as new accounting rules for business are confirmed, allowing companies to record gains and losses immediately. This is a big deal. This can't be understated. If all you're in it for is number go up, if you don't care about running your own node, keeping self-custody of your own Bitcoin, if all you're in it for is the gains, this is hugely positive for you because... In Elizabeth Warren's world, in Jamie Dimon's world, where they control all the money and they control all the Bitcoin, the little Bitcoin that you do have will go up in value. So at least there's that, right? Last but not least, also on the Cafe Bitcoin uh, podcast, uh, Alex Vetsky was on talking about uh, his his piece, Bitcoin and, and Friedrich Nietzsche, or Friedrich Nietzsche and Bitcoin, where he was talking about um, evolution and how Western societies were doomed to fail um, and how they basically cannibalize themselves. They always have, and they always will. There's no reason to believe the United States won't fall just like Rome, like every other empire pre in the past has. Um, but he also mentioned that Bitcoin for the first time might actually interrupt evolution because he points out that how Bitcoin changes you and how Bitcoiners and Bitcoin plebs tend to be more outgoing, more positive, optimistic. We tend to not follow the crowd. We tend to break the rules. We're not lining up to have our sixth or seventh dose of a mandatory vaccine. We're not wearing the face diapers. We're willing to go outside and be in the sunshine when everyone else is locking themselves in the, in the dark rooms. We eat the beef. We drink the milk. We eat the butter. You know, um, a lifestyle that is 180 degrees opposite of the normie. And so when you think about that and you think about evolution and how the human species evolves over time... If you have this group of plebs locked in their basement in a dark room, eating their vegan lifestyle, living in the pod, eating the bugs, as, as, uh, as he says, the genetics that they pass along versus the genetics that the average pleb who works out, goes outside, eats, you know, eats raw meat, uh, lives, lives a rugged individualistic lifestyle, that the, the, the genetics that they pass along are going to be divergent from the normie DNA. And, and he, he jokingly says, we may end up with two separate species one day, the, which he calls the Homo hystericus and the Homo bitcoinicus, which is, you know, really funny that you've got the, the hysterical humans and the Bitcoin humans. Uh, but it's a really interesting piece. And, and if you haven't read it, you should read it. If you don't have the time to read it, Cafe Bitcoin is a Twitter spaces, but they record it as a podcast and you can listen to it on your favorite podcasting app. Uh, and it is, of course, the second half of the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, because it's like a two-hour spaces, and they talk about Bitcoin news and events, et cetera, for like the first hour, and then the last hour, half an hour, they have their featured guest on. So it gets into that last part of the show. If you want to listen to, uh, well, VJ Boyabadi comes on after, first comes on Alex Svetsky, and he talks about um, Nietzsche and Bitcoin and, and Bitcoiners versus, versus normies. All right. So I already spoke heavily 
last episode about why this time may possibly be different. And we went over the crypto winner timelines, the Bitcoin winners of the past, what a normal cycle looks like and what this cycle has looked like and how in general this cycle has rhymed really well. If you zoom out and you don't look at the, you don't look at the average of the last cycles, but you look at the, the shape, the trend of the last cycles, uh, I think you'll see that, that this time has not been much different yet. Uh, we won't know until this cycle is completely over in April, uh, but it's looking pretty pretty similar to the previous. We're, we're basically, we just got done repeating 2019, and we're heading into the beginning of 2020, just as we are wrapping up 2023 and heading into 2024. I don't need to beat that into the ground any further. So let's get to why we're here. And we're here because today is Wednesday, and every Wednesday is our Dollar Cost Average Wednesday, our DCA Wednesday episode, where we invest a little bit of U.S. dollars into Bitcoin and grow a what will hopefully be a meaningful stack of Satoshis one day. We started doing this all the way back on July 28th of 2021, and we've stacked 124 times, socking away $2,480 worth of fiat, including fees and, and now cash app spread, and building a stack of almost 8.5 million sats, 8,497,467 sats to be, uh, to be correct, precise, and we've done so now at an average cost basis of $29,185.17, so significantly less money than what Bitcoin's currently valued at. If you don't know what I'm talking about, we're talking about dollar cost averaging, and dollar cost averaging is an investment strategy where you invest your money in equal portions at regular intervals regardless of price. For example, we chose an equal portion of just $20, and we stuck with $20 for the last two and a half years because I wanted to stack a fiat amount that was small enough that almost anyone listening to this podcast should be able to come up with $20 a week. Of course, weekly is our interval that those are both you do you things. If $20 is nothing to you, by all means, you know, make that, make your own determination and stack, you know, the equivalent fiat value that, that you would be comfortable stacking. And same thing with time frame. There's people out there DCAing hourly, minutely, daily, most people DCA on their payday or near their payday. So if you get paid every two weeks, maybe you DCA bi-weekly. If you get paid weekly, maybe that's weekly. We chose weekly and we chose $20. And this is going to be the 125th week that we've converted 20 filthy fiat cuck bucks into Satoshis. It's going to mark our it's going to be it's going to mark a grand total of 2,500 cuck bucks that we've converted into sats. And to do so, as usual, we are using the Cash App. One of the reasons I like the Cash App, despite I'm not, despite the fact I'm not a fan of the new fee structure, is that I don't have any money on the Cash App right now. So they're going to let me add cash immediately. I have a debit card link to my Cash App, and I'm doing that right now. I'm adding $20. And boom, it's already in my account. I can already spend it on Bitcoin. And some apps, some exchanges will let you do that, but then they'll make you wait five, five days or a week or two weeks before you can transfer your Bitcoin because they want to make sure that cash settles. Cash App isn't going to do that. They're letting me put $20 on my Cash App right now. They're going to let me purchase Bitcoin right now. And they will let me transfer it to my hardware wallet right now, which, which is really cool. So if Cash App is available where you're at and you don't use it, they are not a sponsor of the show. But we do have a referral code in the show notes where you'll get, you'll get some money for free for signing up. And the, and the podcast will as well. So I think the current offer is like 5 bucks. So you get five bucks free and we'll get five bucks as well for you signing up and using Cash App. And that's one way you can help support the podcast while getting paid to do so yourself. You know, you, you won't necessarily, you'll be getting, you'll be receiving money to help support the podcast. And that's pretty cool. So Cash App might not even be available where you are, but 
Uh, I have other referral codes in the show notes. If, if there is an app or service you're considering using, such as Fold or such as Strike, we do have referral codes. None of those are sponsors of the podcast. Anyone who has an account with any of those services gets their own custom referral code. You will too if you sign up that you can pass on to friends and family members so that you can get that reward. In the meantime, if you would consider using our referral code, that will help the podcast because we'll get that 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 reward as well as that, you know, just like you will. So you'll get paid to help support the podcast. I already have that $20 added to my cash app. So I'm tapping Bitcoin, tapping buy, entering $20, tapping confirm. And boom, just like that, we purchased another 45000 uh 45,667 sats. That's awesome because last week we only got 44,411 sats for our purchase. So the fact that we purchased a little bit cheaper this week, I guess we purchased at a price of $42,810 with fees. And with that spread, however, we actually paid an effective price of $43,795.30. And that is going to increase our average purchase price. We're still way in the green but it's increasing our average purchase price by $78.10 to a new average cost basis of $29,263.27. Still way cheaper than the current price of Bitcoin. Unfortunately, as Bitcoin goes up in value, our average cost basis is going to go up in value as well. But the cool thing about DCAing is that we bought the all-time high and then we bought all the way down throughout the Bitcoin winter. So we took advantage of those cheap prices and lowered that average cost basis. Because as you remember, we started out with an average purchase price of like 35000 and worked our way down to like twenty five or 26000 So uh, we've already spoken about why I think this, this experiment has proven that we were better off DCAing versus YOLOing because we ended up with more than 2 million more sats than we would have if we would have done that whole purchase at $35,000 back in July of 2021. Perhaps more importantly, that has raised our stack of satoshis up to 8,543,134 sats, more than eight and a half million sats, still shy of our 10 million sat goal that I have for this DCA podcast series. But if Bitcoin blasts through its previous all-time high and hits just as high as maybe $100,000, which I don't know anybody that thinks that's way out of the picture, when Bitcoin's price hits 100K US dollars, the stack will be worth $8,543.13. Obviously a lot more than the $2,500 we've converted into Bitcoin. And if Bitcoin hits a million, that stack will be worth $85,431.34. And I don't care what country you're living in and what your financial position is, turning $2,500 into $85,000 is going to be life-changing for most people I know. You're not going to retire on $85,000 in the United States, but there are countries where you can uh, where you can live a much better life if you have $85,000 in your savings account than you than you can now. And by savings account, I'm referring to your hardware wallet, not actual savings account, because I don't intend to ever convert that back into fiat. Why would you when you know that it, the minute you do, regardless of what fiat you're using, that, that the, purchasing part, the purchasing value of that 85, 8.5 million Satoshis is going to start going down instead of going up. And uh, that's not too shabby for $2,500. Hopefully you've been following along and, and have stacked at least that much Bitcoin. Real quick, I want to ask those of you listening to help support the podcast, and you can do that in numerous ways. I'm not necessarily talking financially. The, the Probably the best, most helpful thing you could do is to re- rate or review this podcast on the app that you're listening to. 
uh, that you're listening to us on. A five-star review will do tremendous things to feed the algorithm monster. The more reviews, the more interaction, the more activity this podcast gets, the more likely they are to recommend it to other plebs, the more likely we are to help Orange Pill more normies get them stacking Bitcoin. The other way you could do so is to follow us on Twitter. Again, this will feed the algorithm monster, and the more Twitter followers we have, the more reach we'll get. On Twitter, we are at BTC Bulletin Pod, at BTC Bulletin Pod. So please consider following us on Twitter. I also would like to hear from you. Of course, you can send us a boost where we can hear from you, and you can tip the podcast in doing so. Of course, if you do, we'll read your boost on the next Bitcoin Bulletin podcast. Um, but I just want to hear from you regardless. So DM me on Twitter at BTC Bulletin Pod and let me know. If you feel so inclined, you can also tip the podcast on Twitter and you can support us directly through our Spotify support link. Of course, listening on Fountain and your favorite podcasting 2.0 apps allows you to support us with the value for value method where you can stream us sats on a per minute basis or you can support us with that boost that we mentioned. And of course, we read our boosts providing they're nothing obscene and we've never had to censor a boost before. All of our supporters have been awesome. Uh, so that's one way you can help support us. Another way, as I mentioned, is we have those referrals in our show notes. If you are considering using Cash App, for example, clicking that link and signing up that way, you'll get $5 free and we'll get $5. So you'll get paid to help support the podcast. Strike currently has a $10 bonus. If you sign up and uh, with Strike using that referral code, we'll get $10 and you'll get $10. And Fold currently has a 20,000 sat bonus for signing up for their free debit card. And, uh, and we would receive 20,000 sats as well. And for those of you who don't use Twitter and are not in a position to help support the podcast, I still want to hear from you. So if you would like to contact us via email, you can always do it that way. And our email address is bitcoinbulletin at protonmail.com. So on Twitter, we're at btcbulletinpod and our email is bitcoinbulletin at protonmail.com. Until then, don't forget to join us this Wednesday and every Wednesday for our DCA Wednesday episode where we grow that stack together. But until that time... Keep on stacking those sats, you sexy sat stackers. <laughs>